Have you ever wondered, how can I get my data to tell a story? How can I give my information, my presentation, or simply give an example that really connects with people, and more importantly, gets them to want to remember what we had to say? On today's edition of Everyday Improvement, an I Speak podcast, we have the managing director, co-founder, and one of our great facilitators here at iSpeak, Russ Peterson Jr., who's going to talk about corporate storytelling. Greetings, Russ. Thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? Thanks, Todd. I'm doing well. Appreciate being here. Awesome. Well, Russ, since this is the first time we've had you on the podcast, I'd love for the audience to get just a little snippet of who you are and how I Speak came to be with you and Kevin. Thanks, Todd. It was 1999 and I was about to hit send on my email. I was turning in my resignation. It was time for me to walk away from the first company that Kevin and I had started and we had sold that business to a competitor and I stuck around for about a year and a half, but it was time to leave. And when I left, I took a job at a Fortune 500 company. Kevin did the same. And at that point, we we founded iSpeak and we started working on what we wanted to be a company that helped people achieve more in business and in their own uh, personal lives through communication. What could we do to help people become better communicators? And it, it took us about four years to do all of the, not only the business planning, the market planning, but then also all the research that went into the curriculum that we now deliver in our workshops. And after about five years, we knew it was time that we should do this full time and step away from those fortune 500 jobs. And so that became the second time that I sat there and pondered clicking that send button to turn in my resignation, but it was time to walk away. And Kevin and I both had to make a tough decision to step away when we had wives at home who were, they were working, but it was working from homes. In other words, they didn't have paychecks coming in. They were taking care of uh, the kids that that we had at home. We wanted them to eventually go to college. We had house payments, we had car payments, and it was tough to walk away from a steady paycheck. But we believed in this dream and we wanted to make that happen. And I like to tell people that the heroes of that story are our wives because they're the ones that gave us the permission to say, you guys need to follow this dream. And they encouraged us to go out and do that. And that led us to where we are today. So I'm not saying that we've done everything right, but I will say that we have done a few things right. And we have also learned quite a bit. And we still operate today looking for what is it that we could be doing better for the people that we take care of who entrust us with their time and with their communication skill sets. Yeah, that is absolutely a fantastic story. Speaking of telling stories, that in itself, very moving. I know for me, there is another podcast episode somewhere in there around (laughs) leadership and taking courage, taking a risk. Stay tuned, viewers, listeners, to another episode coming in Russ Peterson, Taking a Risk. (laughs) That's great. So, Russ, thank you so much for joining this podcast this time where we're talking about storytelling, that of what you just did, getting us to become a little bit more engaged, not only to the who am I or who I've been story, but really any application of how do I tell a story? How do I get people engaged, bought in, want to listen a little bit more? But before we get into the how do I do it, we're 
teaching this class coming up now called corporate storytelling. What yeah. what is corporate storytelling? Well, it's a, it, it's a fair question to ask because storytelling, I think, sometimes has multiple definitions. It really depends on who you ask. And it it's really about building a narrative. I had someone in a workshop uh, for a very large company just about a week or so ago tell me that their COO does not like stories. And he said, we all know that you don't tell stories to him because he doesn't like them at all. And I disagreed with the student and said, I... I believe that everyone likes stories, and, and here's what I mean. We all want to know what's the point. We, we all want to know what, what do you mean by this. We all want to know what's the next step. How do I interpret this? What should we do with that information? You see how every single one of those is nothing more than just putting one foot in front of the other, and that is making a decision for where do we go from here. Where do we go from here? And a, a story is nothing more than a series of, of, of decisions that have been made that lead someone from one location to another. Another way of saying storytelling that I've learned to use in some business contexts is I just call it a narrative. It's a narrative. We hear this so often from different managers who will say, uh, our, our engineers are bringing us nothing but data. Will you come in here and help them uh, put a message to it. And when I ask, what, what do you mean by a message? They say, well, we want the data to tell a story. We want the data to tell us where we should be going. So it, if you don't want to call it storytelling, I will tell people, let's just call it a narrative. But that's how we do everything in business. Everything in business is we study the past. We look at where we are today and we decide where we want to go for the future. And if you're doing that, you're, you're building the story of your brand. You're building the story of your company. There's, there's always a story. Yeah, I think there is definitely some sort of shift in thinking of using these examples, giving this data, giving this information, a shift in looking at it as a quote unquote story. Many, yeah. many times we think of stories, it's story time with Russ, gather around the campfire, children. Once upon a time. Yeah. And so we, we know that it's not just executives. There's a lot of, I, I know for me, I'm an extroverted feeler, people focused, not that others aren't people focused, but I love a good story. I love to see the big picture and I get entrenched and involved in feelings. But m one of my peers here at iSpeak may, may not even like that at all. Not that they're an executive, but hey, I don't want the big story, just get to the point. And so this term storytelling and, and getting better at telling a story, I know this isn't the first time I've heard about storytelling. And it's been somewhat of a buzz the last couple of years about other coaches, other great leadership development, personal development people helping others tell better stories. So why, why now? Why corporate storytelling now? Well, that, I like the question why. Why, to me, always gets to a, a much deeper level of understanding for everything. And corporate storytelling always gives the why. And so I love that you're asking me that question, like, why now? Well, that's what stories do is they answer the why. Well, why would we do something like this? Where does this fit into the larger story? Where does it fit into the larger picture? That's executives think strategically all the time. And that's really what we're doing with a story is where does this decision that we're discussing today fit into the story 
of our entire business. Where does it fit in? Why should we do this? Why why it's actually important now and, and how we got to where we are today. I think there's an, an interesting place in the business market right now for storytelling. And here's why. Stories have always been a part of human culture. Go back thousands of years. We we that's how we recorded history. It was it was told orally from stories, generation to generation, truly sitting around a campfire. When when we started to uh, record things by writing them, we recorded stories. We wrote them down, those stories. Then when we got into the age of computers, and this is just you know a few decades ago when when computers landed on every single desk out there, we got into an age of collecting data, analyzing data, using data to project things, letting the computers crunch the data. We became extremely data-driven, and there's nothing wrong with being data-driven, but w- what I feel has happened is, is that the pendulum has swung so far to this side of data that we've put so much of our uh, effort and so much of our uh, re- reliance on the numbers and the data. You even hear the, the terms big data, and that's metadata. It, it's data about data, and how do we analyze the data about the data? And that's great. I love all that. What we don't want to lose in that, the forest from the trees type of an expression, is we don't want to lose what's the story that the data is telling us. And so when we put this distinct focus over the past few decades on all the data and analyzing the data, that's great. But now we need to make sure that we are taking that data, interpreting it properly, and then sharing that with the humans, not the robots, you know, the robots, they want the data. The humans want the story. So how do we connect with our audiences to share that story? So my encouragement to leaders out there today is use the data, rely on the data. We've got more data available to us today than we have ever had in human history. But we can't get lost in that because we have to realize that as leaders, we're leading people. And when you lead people, they have to know the story behind it. How does this fit into the, the why behind everything that we do? Yeah, I think that's very powerful, especially from a leader standpoint. I know I look at not only teaching our leader classes at iSpeak, but just conversating with people everywhere that we go. We're, we're all leaders in some form or fashion, leader of a yeah. household, leader of a group of friends. If you're playing video games and you're the one leading the raid, you're the leader. <laughs> now, maybe we won't tell a story while you're you know, out there trying to fight the whatever aliens. But I, I like that you keep saying that it's it's been around for as long as humans have been around. And it's this there's this human element to storytelling. Now you had said that the why is part of it's compelling. Why we like it so much, there's this why element and we as humans do very much need the why. But what else? What what makes storytelling so compelling? How do we or why do we connect with it as humans? I th- I think it's when we're all willing to admit that the emotions that we have are what truly drive all of our actions. Now, I know that there's people listening right now that are thinking, nah, that's not true. That's not true. I'm a very, I'm a systematic thinker. I'm a logical thinker. I don't, I don't make decisions based on my gut feel or emotions. I make my decisions based on thinking. 
I love the thought, and that's what I used to think as well, but I'm here to tell you you're wrong, and let me prove it. I'm going to prove it right now. I want, Todd, I have a question for you. Do, have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Yes, of course. Okay. Have you, and I want you to be honest here, have you ever broken or given up on one of those resolutions? Am I allowed to plead the fifth on this one? <laughs> I can neither confirm I, nor we, deny. <laughs> I think I know the answer because I think we can all answer it if we answer it honestly. Yeah, we probably have. We probably have. I am here to give you the reason why you did that. And as soon as I tell you what this reason is, you're going to smile a little bit. And everyone out there listening to this podcast is going to smile a little bit. And they're going to go, you know what? He's right. That That is why I gave up on it. All right, hold this on. Let, is, me, let me not smile first. Let me get the okay. face. Not smile. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's, here's the one reason why all of us, including me, this is why all of us gave up on our New Year's resolution. There's only one reason. I no longer felt like doing it. I don't feel like doing it. So let me give you an example. If, uh, if let's say I knew that I wanted to exercise more by taking a walk every day because I knew it would make me healthier. Logically, you cannot argue with that. That is true. If I took a walk every day, I would become healthier. I would. I'm just taking a walk every day. And if I don't do that now compared to doing it every day, I would get healthier. Logically, that makes sense. And there will never be an argument against that because logically it makes sense. Well, then why didn't I do that? Because the day rolled around where I got home from work, I was tired from working. I, I had a tough day at work. And then my wife says, hey, we need to go for our walk today. I said, nah, I, I don't think I'm going to today. Why not? I don't feel like going today. It, it's always the feeling. So here's my point. Here's my point. Feelings and emotions, how we feel, play a huge part of the decisions that we make. The people in business who will second guess that or say, no, I, I don't think that's accurate. I think we do everything based on the data. I bet if you're making decisions based on data, you're confident that the data is accurate. Confidence is also a feeling. There's always a feeling tied to it. We as humans always have this feeling or emotional part that's tied to it. And that's what makes us human. That's what makes it, that's what makes uh, human interaction so wonderfully complex. Why did, why do we connect with it as humans? Because stories can tap into that human side of us, that emotional or feeling side of us. If I can give you an example here real quick, let me give you an example between data and between the, the feeling piece. If I told you every night in the greater Houston area, over 300,000 children age five and younger go to bed hungry every night because their parents can't afford enough food on the weekends. Now, if I said something like that, you would, you would say, wow, that, I mean, that's huge. That's a huge number. That shouldn't happen. You know, yeah, that shouldn't happen. Uh, that's, that's too many kids. Yeah. And so, it, of course, it gets our attention and we're used to data. But my question is, have you ever seen 300,000 of anything? Maybe if you've been to Talladega, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's hard to picture 300,000 of something. And I'll tell you what I just did, which sounds awful when I say this, but I just turned each of those kids into a number. Yeah. I dehumanized them. I, I took the human element out of it and I just made them data. Now, let me add to it. If I truly want to create a movement, that'll get your attention. When I say 300,000 kids, that'll get all of our attention. But what if I approached whatever it is that I'm trying to convince you to donate money to? What if I approached it a little differently? 
and I brought up a picture. When you're watching me speak somewhere, a slide comes up and I bring up a, a, a picture of, of this cute young girl. She's probably about four years old, cutest little smile, biggest brownest eyes you've ever seen. And I pause for a moment and then I look at the entire audience and I say, I'd like you to meet Emma. Emma's four years old. She lives just outside of an area in Houston called the Heights. Now you might think of the Heights as a hipster kind of an area where it's fun to go visit. But what a lot of people don't see is just two blocks away from that. Emma doesn't have a father. And I go on and on and I, and I share this story. You tell me which one of those was more compelling and which one pulled you in a little bit more. It gets your attention with that 300,000, but data alone doesn't always tap into the human side of movement for a decision. And so even in business, I, I grant it with, with Emma's story there, we probably wouldn't always share something like that in a, in a technical IT engineering story. But my point is this, the human side, the emotional side, the feeling side is always going to touch a nerve with audience members. So we could still approach it as an IT engineer. I wouldn't be talking about Emma, but what I might talk about is some of the effects that this data is going to have, whether it's for the team, for the company, for this business unit, for our customers, for our vendors. But when you talk about the effects it can have, that, that tends to bring it home. For people and that fe the feeling and the emotion is what can create more movement in your audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I like how you separated it into, for me, I heard these two key elements where we're used to giving data, we're, we're driven towards giving this data. It's the 300,000 kids, right? You're right. It grabs attention. But as soon as you said, let me show you, Emma. I, you had me. I, I didn't want you mm -hmm. to stop telling the story. I wanted to hear more about it, even though I could somewhat predict like, oh, he's showing me a kid who's going hungry. But still, as you built more of the story, I, I was compelled. I wanted to know more. I didn't want you to stop. So, yeah, there's that's a great example. It moved yeah. me. I like that. So you you could use data just to get attention or now we could tell a story to move. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, where I want to go next is, so here's, here's some of the why, at really, what is corporate storytelling? Why should we be using corporate storytelling? Why is it so compelling and effective? Where I want to go next is, how, how do we do it? How do we get into being able to do it? Hey guys, but before we get into the next section of this podcast, I did want to take a quick moment, take a quick break from our time with Russ. And just make mention of the new iSpeak website, www.ispeak.com. 2019 marks the 20th year of iSpeak. With it being our 20th year, we have updated our website, new design, new layout, and we have now started to increase how much we blog on the website. If you're looking for some more quick tips, short three to five minute reads, on things that you can improve on every day, every week, every month, whether it's leadership, sales, communication, whatever the topic may be, check out our blog section on ispeak.com slash blog, or go ahead and poke around the website for just a little bit. Feel free, reach out to us. If there's something more that you want to learn, something more that you want to grow in, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. 2019, our 20th year of being an organization. We are very fortunate, very happy to have such great clients, 
work with great people. Thank you guys for helping us make this happen. Check out our newly designed website and let us know. Reach out to us, info at ispeak.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, let's dive back into corporate storytelling with Russ. All right, so before the break, we were talking, what is corporate storytelling and why? Why now? Why does it work? Why does it connect with us as humans? And now where we want to go with this, we've heard the what and the why, but how do we do it? How do we get into doing it? And so, Russ, what I want to ask you is, what are the elements of good storytelling? What are, what are the elements? What are the foundational pieces that make a good story? You bet. Yeah. Without going, we have a, as you know, this Todd, we have a full one day workshop on storytelling. So we won't go into a lot of detail here, but I will give some high level thoughts on what are some of the good elements of a story. I'm sure that many of the listeners are familiar with the Da Vinci Code and Dan Brown. And one thing that Dan Brown does so well, and if you got one of his books on the shelf, go pull it out now. And here's what I want you to look at. Flip to any chapter. It doesn't matter. And look at the ending of one chapter and the beginning of the next one. Dan Brown does such a compelling job at the end of every chapter that he makes you want to read the next chapter. In other words, you can't put it down. Look at the very opening of the Da Vinci Code. When that book starts, he actually starts in the middle of some action. There's something going on. So here's how stories, uh, one of the things to keep in mind for making good, effective stories, and even, I'm, I'm not talking just action movies. This could be business stories as well. Stories are interesting to the audience when they, number one, see that there's an issue or something that's going on. There's a problem that has occurred. If there is no problem, there is no story. It's information until there's a problem. Yeah, as soon sense. as there's a problem, here's the second thing that becomes extremely compelling. A decision has to be made. Stories don't get interesting until a decision has to be made. Once you get to that fork in the road, that's where we as an audience listening are compelled because in our minds, we start playing out the potential scenarios of what could happen if the, if our hero goes down either of these paths, yeah, we'll play that out in our minds. And so if everyone could just remember this, if there is no problem, then there is no story and it will get interesting for the audience as soon as the decision has to be made. What's the decision that has to be made? So that that's the without getting into too too much detail of the arc of a storyline and all that there's always an issue there's a decision that has to be made the other thing that I would recommend is name your characters when I talked about Emma earlier I gave you I gave her a name instead of me just bringing up that picture of Emma and saying this little girl lives outside of the Heights area of Houston. And I never get, if I never give her a name, she's, she's not quite a number at that point, but you see how it dehumanizes it. We love characters with names because that's how we connect with other people. We connect with so many things by giving it a name. Oh people, yeah. I know my, my first, my first car, uh, yeah. I'll be reluctant to say I gave my first car a name. <laughs> and yeah. when, when George died, I was uh. traumatized. <laughs> and then my next car never gave it a name. It mm -hmm. was just another car. Well, yeah, it and, makes sense. So when a stray comes to the house, stray cat, stray dog, something, and the, the kids, the first thing they do is they name it. And 
I had a neighbor tell me this one time when the cat came over and the kids had already named it and we had already fed it. And he looked at me and goes, you just, you just bought yourself a new cat. <laughs> you just got yourself a new cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Thank as you for that. As soon as you name it. That lesson. Yeah. Yeah. It's much harder to separate. I, I grew up in a rural area where there's 4-H and FFA. And the first thing they would tell you when you're raising hogs or cows or sheep or whatever, is said, don't name them. Oh, <laughs> don't man. name them. Yeah. It's going to be so much harder to sell them at an auction if you name them. So anyway, that uh, maybe yeah. uh, for all the listeners out there, and easy, <laughs> we just gave them a compelling way to remember it. we need to name our characters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So we had naming the characters, a problem, and then a decision to be made. I like that. Yes. And I, I know from, well, we're talking about names, the impact of names, but then also I can tell when it's a good story. If my wife can't figure out the ending, <laughs> then yeah, that like, what's the decision? If she guesses the wrong decision, we're just yeah. grasped onto it. So I like that. Now as we're using these elements and we're thinking about incorporating these elements, like if I'm a software engineer going in and presenting my data, so I know I can talk about a problem. I can talk about a decision that needs to be made and there are these elements. What are, if those are the good things we add in, let's go the other side of the coin. What are some of the things that we need to be cautious of or we need to stay away from while we're telling these stories? Yeah, it's, it's always something, especially for, I'm imagining that most of the listeners here are all in a, they're thinking of stories, storytelling in a business setting. And so this is a great question that we all need to consider. And the number one thing I always point people to is how much time do you have? Don't don't take too much of it. I'm just going to say the executives. Executives, we all of us are busy. We all, our time is precious to us. When you get to the executive ranks, they they seem to have even shorter amounts of time for all the audiences that they need to to listen to. And so if I'm speaking to a group of executives, they've given me five minutes. I would not take three minutes to share a story, to make one point. That's not an efficient use of time. Stories take a little time to build. And based on that, they're not the most efficient way to transfer data. So if the, if the whole point of your message to your audience is to transfer data, then you're probably not going to spend much time storytelling, if at all, or if you do, they need to be very brief. And in fact, what I shorten them to instead of a story, I will tell people, can you just give us a metaphor or an analogy? That will help bring your point home instead of giving us a, a full story with characters and a plot line and all that. That it takes time. It can generate a feeling. But if it's just if you're just supposed to be transferring data, let's not go there. Let's not do it. So that would be the number one thing is who are you speaking to and how much time do you have? And then the next thing I would tell people to consider is what type of story. And, and I'm going to throw them into two buckets. And it's a positive story or a negative story. I've had people ask me. Can, can I share a story that, that actually creates some anxiety in the audience or it makes them feel a little nervous? And, and could we do that? That's generating a feeling, right? And I tell people, sure, you can because people don't move when they're comfortable. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> you don't move when you're comfortable. As soon as you're seated and a part of your body falls asleep, you will shift in the chair because that tingly sensation in your leg just doesn't feel good. So you move. People, it, it, it's a, if you want to call it knee-jerk reaction or a reflex, but when you share something negative with them and generates a negative feeling, it will create a reflex movement. 
but I, I caution people on that because it's just, just be careful with what types of stories you're sharing and why you're sharing them. I had someone one time as a, a, a job that I had, this was decades ago. I was in sales, business development. I was in Colorado for our national sales convention. All the salespeople were there. And our senior vice president of sales got up on this huge stage talking to thousands of salespeople. And I was out in the audience and his opening line was, I'm going to work you guys like dogs this year. And I thought, wow, oh, man. <laughs> that was a bit of a, and it was, he painted this negative picture of our industry and where we were in the industry. And we're not going to let that happen again. And you guys are going to work like dogs and we're not going to allow it to happen. So it was, it did create a knee-jerk reaction because nobody wanted to lose their job for not selling yeah. enough, but it also caused a lot of people to update their resume, not yeah. because they didn't think they could handle it, but they didn't want to work for, for an organization that treats them like dogs. I mean, who would? Yeah, no. <laughs> so the caution is on the negative. Just be aware it, it will create knee-jerk reactions. But if you want to create, if you want to create long-term movement in an audience, you're better off going with the inspirational story. And sometimes when I'm coaching individuals, I'll have them use both. I have them start their message with something negative just to get the audience's attention. And then we leave them with, at the end, we leave them with that inspirational story of that better tomorrow that we're, that we're all marching toward. And then they leave and they build that future in their mind. It, it creates more of a long-term movement than just that knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine anyone wanting to work for the we're going to work you like dogs type guy. But <laughs> I, I could definitely see that that reflex, that knee jerk has a time and place. It, it has a specific use. It just comes down to the caution of how do you use it? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Great, great things to stay away from. It, it makes sense. Don't make them too long. If you only have a five minute update, don't take three minutes to tell a story. Yeah. All that. That's right. I like that. Yeah. Well. As we get ready to, to see the tunnel, see the light at the end of the tunnel here with this episode, I, I do want to ask for two things from you, Russ. Yep. What are three quick tips? We're here towards the end of the episode. Three things that people can start implementing right now to start telling better stories. And then I'd love to hear, just as a, a walkout for us, what's an example of a story that you use? Sure. Absolutely. Sure. I'll, I'll give you, we'll start with the three, three quick tips. The first one that I will give you is when you start a story, if you can set the scene quickly, it gets the audience into it much faster. So I go back to Dan Brown and I told you, go, go read the first opening paragraph of that book, The Da Vinci Code, and you'll see he jumps right into the action. I started a, a story at the beginning of our podcast today and, and I said, it was 1999 and I was about to click send on the email. I was about to resign from my position. You see how we set the scene very quickly. You know who the character is. It's me. You, you know what year it is and you know what I'm about to do. And it, it tells you that something else has happened that led to this point. But do you see how I took you immediately to the decision point? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if you can set the scene quickly, you pull an audience in very quickly. So that's, that's one tip that I would give. Second is uh, use dialogue. And what we mean by dialogue, and, and I'll give two examples here of, uh, I'll give you some information that is not using dialogue, and then I'll give you the same information using dialogue. So if, 
if I were to tell you, if you're in my audience, I tell the entire group, say, yeah, my manager evaluated this and said that our competition is probably going to take notice if we do something like that. That was information. But if I delivered as dialogue, here's how it would sound. Well, I showed this to my manager and she said, if we do this, the competition is definitely going to take notice. And the difference there, it's the same information, but in the second one, I was actually acting. And I mean, I'm putting that in air quotes here for everyone, but I was acting. I became my manager and I spoke the words that she spoke to me when that happened. And the beauty behind dialogue and what it does to the human mind is it causes us to picture the scene in our head as it's taking place. Yeah, I I envision some shadowy, long haired lady (laughs) telling you they're going to notice. Mm hmm. And see, and the person I was picturing is our vice president of sales that I had decades ago when I was working for another company. She had short hair, actually, not long hair. But the, the point is this, Todd, that you pictured something. Yeah. And so when I want to coach people on these aging speakers, you have to engage people's brains. And the way you do that is you give them something where they can, they can picture it. They can relate to it. They can relate to it. And most often that means we need to be able to picture it. And so using dialogue helps us do that. So the first tip was set the scene very quickly. And second is if you can deliver some of the information, not all of it, don't turn it into a play, but if you can deliver some of the information with dialogue, they'll picture that scene actually taking place. And then the third tip I'll give is if, if you find yourself in a situation where you want to make the story very compelling and engaging for the audience to help them picture some of those things, here's something else you can do is tap into their five senses. So if you're describing something, whatever that is, tap into one of their senses. What did it look like? You know, the colors, what did it sound like? The rush of the wind or, or what does it taste like? Was it salty? Was it sweet? And it, I'm not asking you to make this unprofessional, but when you share a story, if you can throw in one little piece of there that, that would cause them to use one of their senses, neuroscience actually has proven this, that If we talk about something like sweet apple pie and the cinnamon and the sugar and the layers and the flaky crust. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. (laughs) I feel like I got to go work out already. But if you share that, here's what happens is that the, the part of your brain that actually processes the sense of taste was just activated in your brain right now because we activate the same region whether we're actually tasting something or whether we're thinking about tasting something. So my point is this, and that works for all five senses. If you will throw one little piece in like that, you're activating that region of the brain. It's something we can relate to, and you actually become a more engaging speaker. So again, keep it professional. I know we're talking about business setting here, so don't don't go too crazy with this, but it works. Neuroscience about, says it works. Yeah, yeah, don't talk about the apple pies while yeah. you're... <laughs> When you're talking to your, yeah, if you're talking to your COO, don't talk about the apple pie. Yeah. No, I I like it because especially with tapping into those senses, I mean, thinking about some of the other industries and some of the other people that we work with and we coach with, it's, hey, I was sitting there and I had this idea. Why don't we do this? Versus I was sitting in my cubicle listening to the pitter patter of somebody else typing. And I realized why do our keyboards have to be so loud? Why do they have to have this sound that is not only disruptive to them, but I know when I'm on a virtual call, imagine 
you're sitting there and you hear click, 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 click. And it's one of the, I can't hear anything you're saying because all I hear are clicks. Yeah, and that's, trying to that's, tap that's into great, that sound. Yeah, that's a great example. That's a great example of, of what, you know, one of our customers could use, you know, when they're talking about the computers that they design and all that, that's, that's a great example. Tap into that sense of hearing, clickety clack. Yeah, awesome. So three quick tips for you guys. Set the scene quickly, use dialogue and tap into those five senses. Russ, this has been a really great time with you learning what is it why is corporate storytelling a now type thing why should we start using it and then also some tips of how we can start using it as we get ready to end this episode and end our time together i'd love to hear what is one of your stories that you use in one of your classes could you give us a full-on uninterrupted example of one of your stories Sure. I will. Uh, how about this? I'll, I'll tell you the template I'm going to use, and then I'll give you a little thought on the template at the end if you'd like me to. But the template I'm going to use is called the two paths. And so uh, as the listeners are listening, see if you can find the two paths. And it's a template that any of you could borrow and use in, in many different types of settings. So I once was a sales manager. The sales manager was interviewing for new sales positions. And she decided that in the interview, she was going to ask this age old question that gets tossed around as something that gets used for salespeople, which is at the very end, they hand them a pen and they say, I want you to sell me this pen. So she decided she would do that. So the first candidate comes in and he goes through the entire interview uh, with her and, and the sales manager, she leans over and hands the pen to him and says, I want you to sell me this pen. He takes a pen, he looks a little puzzled at first. He thinks about it. And then a smile breaks across his face and he starts to tell her a little bit about the black and silver color of it and how it will, it, it can be both formal and it can be both casual. It has a retractable pen, which can be clicked here, which would prevent any ink from showing up on any of your shirts. And then it, maybe he talks about the clip that's on the side. So you could put it into a pocket and you could clip it on somewhere. He talked about all the features, advantages and benefits. He leaves and the next candidate comes in. This candidate comes in and when she walks in, uh, she goes through the entire interview. And at the end, the sales manager leans over, hands this, uh, this young woman the pen and says, I want you to sell me the pen. She thought about it for a moment. And then a smile broke across her face. She didn't talk about features, advantages, or benefits. Instead, she asked a question and she said, what brings you into our pen store today? The next question was, what do you plan on using this pen for? Why do you feel that a pen is something that you need for your own needs? What are you trying to solve with this? She spent time asking about four or five questions to get answers. And then she took the answers that she had received and aligned them with the features, advantages, and benefits in order to sell the pen much more inquisitive and what we would call consultative approach. Now you might think that the sales manager hired the second candidate and that's where you'd be wrong. She actually hired both of them. But the interesting part of this story is that six months after they both started, the first candidate was reporting to the second candidate because the second candidate had been promoted to sales manager. The point is, that if you will spend your time focusing on the customer and their needs as opposed to the product that you sell, you will be much more successful selling in this role. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That 
I want to buy the pen from that other lady for sure. <laughs> uh, so, thank you, thank you so much for us. Yeah, that, great example for us to go down and and the two paths there. I am curious about the two paths. However, what I want to do for our next episode, and just for all of you out there, our next episode, we're going to have Russ back. Russ is going to guide us through how to do the two paths episode. And in this episode, it's going to be one of our activity-based episodes. Russ is going to lead us through it as if we were in class, and we're going to get a chance to practice this two paths template so we can start telling better stories. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll have Russ back guiding us through the activity of telling a two path story. And Russ, thank you again for your time. If we want to learn more about how can we how can we learn more about corporate storytelling? Where do we go? Where do we sign up? What do we do to be able to learn more about corporate storytelling? You bet. Well, thank you, Todd. Thank you for everyone who's listening. I appreciate and sticking with us uh, through the very end. I hope it was helpful that you take something away and that you can absolutely use it and benefit from it. If anyone wants to get more information about any of this, I would recommend the number one place is just point them to our, our website blog, which is ispeak.com. And you'll find the blog out there. We blog on everything that we teach and storytelling is a very popular topic. And so we've got quite a few blog posts out there for that. So that'd be my number one. And then second, if you work for a, a corporation or a, a business, contact us if you would ever like to bring us in. We'd be happy to come in and do a, a, one of our one day workshops and teach corporate storytelling and how you can apply it in your own business setting. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, my my guest today, Russ Peterson Jr., Managing Director, Co-Founder, and Facilitator Extraordinaire at iSpeak. Look forward to have you on another episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks.